Hello, I'm Brandon Perna, host of That's Good Sports, a 10-minute-ish daily NFL comedy podcast. Have you ever wished for a crappy version of The Daily Show, but only about the NFL? Then, first and foremost, I implore you to dream much bigger. Secondly, I would recommend subscribing to That's Good Sports. Every weekday, I will be giving you NFL news, telling questionable jokes, and swearing just enough so you won't ever be able to listen with your kids in the room or car. I don't ask for a lot, but if you don't subscribe on iTunes, my wife said she will leave me. Thanks, and I look forward to putting my voice in your ear holes. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Knicks Wall Podcast. It's a new season. We're getting ready for uh, all the excitement coming up ahead. Uh, you know, new season still on the, the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Still got all that good stuff going on at the Knicks uh, You know, you can still follow us at the Knicks Wall at TKW Podcast. I'm Anthony Corbo at Corbo Anthony, and I've got my co-host with me today, Kyle Maggio. What is up, my man? Not much, man. I'm actually genuinely excited to be back. So yeah, you know, have, yeah, it's been, it's been a minute Knicks. since we could actually talk about basketball. Like I, you know, I felt like all the World Cup uh, coverage was kind of handled, and I, the only reason Knicks fans were watching was for like Frank Nielakina. So I'm not. So we, you know, it was, didn't seem like it seemed like a good time to take a little bit of time off there. Um, but here we are. We're doing our thing. Um, so. I think what we're going to do today is Kyle and I have both prepared a list of uh, a few questions we have going into this season and Kyle see my list. I have not seen Kyle's list, but I'm fine with that. I'm going to keep it just that way. And I, I guess kind of like the goal of what we're trying to get to here is, you know, here, here are the big questions that we have. Here's what's going on for here's what's running through our mind as we start to look forward to training camp. And, you know, onward beyond that to preseason and then finally to playing some games again. Um, So kind of we're going to use this as our opportunity to learn what we what we should be on the lookout for for this upcoming season. We're going to we're going to start by asking the questions. And then from there, we'll give you we'll give you guys, you know, maybe maybe next week, maybe in the future, you know, just kind of rolling down the uh, rolling down the ladder. We're going to start throwing out some things for you guys to look out for. And I'm just hoping this conversation helps to influence that a little bit. So, um, yeah, I, I, I guess, do you have anything anything you want to throw in there, Kyle? Anything about how we're happy we are to see the people again? Uh, no, I'm just happy. And um, I know over the summer and kind of as we finished last season, a lot of you guys were a lot more engaging with us uh, on different platforms, whether it was Facebook or, you know, Twitter is obviously where, that's our bread and butter. That's where you find us most frequently. But uh, even on Instagram a little bit, you know, some of you guys reach out about the pod and things that, you know, you listen to us about. So uh, keep doing that. We love that. We love hearing back from you guys. Uh, that's why we do this. It's not to just talk into a void. So 
uh, if you got something to say, always let us know. We're always happy to debate and talk. And um, yeah, and it just seemed like that was really picking up kind of as uh, last season ended and then into the summer. So just I enjoy that. Uh, I, I know Anthony enjoys it. So just keep that up. We love hearing from you guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, echo all of that. Uh, you know, thanks for all the interaction on Twitter. You know, it's it's can be tough when uh, you're balancing the day-to-day stuff to uh, to be hopping on there and talking to everybody. But, you know, it always helps to brighten things up a little bit. So without further ado, um, let's start. Let's just start rattling off some of these questions. So I'm going to I'm going to start us off here. I'm going to start off with uh, kind of a kind of the overarching question that I think I think most people are asking themselves as they go into the season now. And that's, are we overstating this? So you and I have kind of stated that we expect this team to be high 20s, possibly low 30s as far as a win total goes. Um, could we be overestimating that entirely? or and, and they could just be another lottery team again? Because I say this because, you know, Gavoni came out with his, uh, you know, really early, uh, dra- you know, mock draft projection uh, today, and we had the Knicks at number three with Lamelo Ball as their potential uh, selection. So it seems to be that people around, people who aren't quite linked to the team, people who are kind of looking at the NBA in an overarching way, I, I, I don't think they view the Knicks quite as, as highly as we have before. So. I mean, could could this just be a a bias thing? Like, do you think that we're just overestimating the team a little bit and and they're going to be a lottery team again? Or what what do you think makes you, why do you think that's not true? Well, first of all, uh, I'm not as high on this team. I just think while there's, and I tweeted this out earlier, while there's like four or five guys I'm pretty high on as individual talents, um, even from guys from the last year's roster that we like as individual talents, like we haven't seen them play winning basketball together. Like, so even if guys are taking some steps individually, is that going to be, you know, contributing to winning basketball? And I don't know that it is because they were horrific last season. You know, a couple of guys showed promise like Mitchell Robinson, first and foremost is a guy that really seems like uh, you can really build around a defensive anchor like that. But you know, the other guys, Trier was very good. Dotson was very good, you know, but individually, like as a team, they played like shit. It's just the truth. Objectively, that's the truth. So um, I'm not very high on them. I think adding Julius Randle is a very good move. Uh, you, Everyone here knows that I've openly wanted Julius Randle for like three years. If you, you've been listening since the beginning, I've bitched about this for a long time. So I've wanted him. I'm very high on Dennis. I'm very high on RJ. But, you know, with as with anything, just because I'm high on them, that doesn't mean it's going to work out. Or just because I'm high on them individually, doesn't mean it's going to work um, when you mesh it in for a basketball team. So, seeing as how bad they were last year, and they basically added a bunch of middling players and Julius Randle and RJ, um, I don't know that that's enough to really be a good team or even a halfway decent team. I think they're just going to be bad, but like regular. Regular Knicks bad is what I'll call it. Like not even low thirties. Like I had, I initially said like 24, 25 wins, but considering I'm expecting Dennis to take a considerable leap this year, um, I'm expecting RJ to not 
be a turd when he gets on the court. I'm expecting him to be a good basketball player pretty quickly, at least offensively. Um, and Julius, I think, is still going to you know give you buckets. And if Mitch is the same player that he was last year, I think there's a chance that they could exceed 30. But like, that shouldn't be the default. Like, this isn't 2K where every player gradually improves every year. Like, it would take a lot of things going right and a lot of guys developing continuously in order for them to break 30. So I got them like. If you ask me now, I probably I'd probably say 27, 26, so, 27 wins. I, I don't have them over thirty. I just can't. To me, that's nuts. Like they did, they didn't do enough with they brought they they brought back that same young core of players and added a couple of okay pieces around it. And to me, that's just not enough to double their win total. Not even close. I'd love to yeah. be wrong, obviously, but no, I I I think that you're. See, this is this is really the the dilemma that I'm following, finding myself in. Like, I I kind of agree with what you're saying around the part of me wants to say a little like I'm thinking probably a little closer to 26 to 28, um, and it's just it's hard for me to imagine that this team is going to be as bad as the team that won 17 games last year. Like, I'm going up and down that roster right now and looking at it. It's like, I mean. Ron Baker, Trey Burke, uh, Henry Ellenson, uh, Hazonia, Hardaway, like all these guys, Cantor, all these guys are gone. And, and uh, you know, Moutier even, like, I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the blockage that was there last season is out of the way. And like, there's some other, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, like the Knicks may have cause some more problems for themselves, you know, with their signings this season too, as far as what rotations are going to look like. But, you know, I, I'm just really excited by the fact that, you know, we don't have Emmanuel Moutier in there just eating up minutes and that, you know, should be, should have gone to Dennis Smith or, you know, Frank Nielakino over the course of the entire year. And I'm excited that, you know, uh, Ennis Cantor is gone and Deandre Jordan is gone. So Mitchell Robinson can actually get some play in. You know, all of those things. I, I think, like, you're right in what you were saying where, um, you know, I'm excited that I, I, I think that Mitch is going to grow a lot. I think that we're going to have, we're going to see some, like, coherency out of a lot of these guys on this team. Uh, but where, you know, just kind of, I, I think it'll be a little easier for Fizdell to rotate players in and out than they had last year. Um. So, I, you know, it, it's, it all kind of depends on where, you know, the lottery is going to end up sitting this year, too. But let's, uh, because we got a lot to get on to, why don't you ask me what your first question is? Okay, so, hmm, let's see. I think I've got seven here. So I'm going to ask you. All right, let's just get this one out of the way, because uh, he's the second most lightning rod topic besides Frank Nielakina. Where do you stand on Kevin Knox entering year two? Um, well, you know, okay, this was a good one in mind too. Yeah, because I'm not out on him. I'm not, when I'm, when I say things like I'm low on guys or they stunk, like that's not me hating or being low on them. That's just what it is. So I'm not out on him, but, you know, personally, I'm very low on him after last season. I well, saw a lot of, let's talk about a lot of low effort. Low effort, a lot of inconsistencies, a lot of inefficiencies, zero like negative defense. 
So where do you stand? Because to me, he needs to, they signed a lot of wings and like threes and fours. I'm not going to do the, the power forward yeah. joke. They signed forwards who can play the three and the four. It, it is what it is. So he now has to compete with some of these guys, namely, you know, Mook Morris. Um, so to me, he's got to improve quickly in a lot of areas. And I'm not so confident he's going to be able to do that. So I'm going to touch on, I probably am going to touch on a couple of my other questions I have in here too, because this was a little lower down my list. But um, I, I think it's important knowing like what, you know, when I'm thinking what he's going to look like going into the season and what, what like, you know, what I expect from him, I just, I think we need to set what his actual expectations are in a more firm manner because, you know, he had a, a statistically woeful rookie year last year, but there was moments where he was looking comfortable. He had a really good summer league, uh, you know, his first summer league. He had an okay one this summer, uh, you know, he, and he's for certain shown flashes throughout his career. Um, and now, you know, I kind of, the expectation for me is, is something that I don't totally know what to expect because it's like, it's right. What you're saying, like they signed a lot of three fours this summer and Kevin Knox is by definition, a three, four, those are the two, two positions he can play. And you know, you really can't put them anywhere else. Um, so it's like, I, to me, what I kind of expect from him and what I, uh, think we'll end up seeing from Kevin Knox is he's not going to play that much early on in the season. You know, like, it, you know, like you were saying, Marcus Morris, he's going to get, he's definitely going to get more in the minutes than Knox to start off with. You're also going to be competing against, you know, wherever Taj Gibson slides in here. Uh, you know, Julius Randall, obviously as a starter at the four, who's probably going to be the biggest impediment for Kevin Knox, because he's going to be soaking up a lot of those minutes at the four. And I can imagine that Barrett will be soaking up a lot of those minutes at the three. Uh, depending on where he gets shuffled in and what the guard rotation ends up looking like. Uh, but to me, and then I'm going to kind of tackle another one of my questions in here too, which is, you know, which players do we think will get moved at the deadline? And uh, and I'll kind of save part two for that for a little bit. But, you know, I, I think that an obvious candidate there is Marcus Morris. And I think that, you know, he's going to be playing a lot of minutes. He's probably going to be starting at, at one of the positions. If not, he's going to be a six man. And I think that he is going to be one of the guys who's probably moved at the deadline. And I think that's going to be the moment when Kevin Knox can expect to get some more minutes a little later in the season, kind of closer to February uh, or maybe earlier, depending on, you know, what, depending on how his development goes and what ends up happening with Morris throughout the rest of the year. But um, to me, I, I want to see, I want to see low minutes for Knox at the beginning. And I want him to be a quality player with that. I wanted to have a little bit of like a Mikel Bridges kind of deal, except he played a little bit more minutes, but he was low efficiency. He was a high efficiency, low minutes kind of guy. I want Kevin Knox to be a low minutes, high efficiency kind of guy. I want him to be able to spot up. I want him to be where he needs to be on the floor. I don't need him to be having a, a ton of shots or be, you know, having a ton of touches or anything like that. He was clearly overwhelmed with that last season. And I want him to kind of have a little bit more of a natural progression as he goes through the season. And then I'm hoping by like February, January, whenever the rotation starts to kind of like solidify itself and, and maybe thin out a little bit with some trades, I'm, I'm hoping that Kevin Knox can become, you know, the sixth, seventh man off the bench and actually be able to give some, some high quality minutes at the forward spots. Um, along those same, along those same lines though, when it comes to Knox, uh, what, what would you say 
or who would you who would you say is most likely to get moved at the deadline? And I guess kind of a second part to that, who do you think is going to bring back the most value? Like before any games are played or before the beginning of the season, like what player do you think in February will be the most valuable and ta- get us the most uh, get you know get us the most assets back? I mean, I, this is this is tricky because I don't think they're going to trade any of the young guys, but. I also don't want to give them too much credit for something that I think that they might be doing, but they typically never do, which is, oh, hey, they have these solid veterans who are on expiring deals. They're going to move one of them, and we're going to get a haul. Remember when we thought, oh, they're going to be able to move Kyle O'Quinn and not get a haul, but like, oh, maybe they can get a late first or a second, like an early second, like something like that. And then they blocked at the offers. Didn't happen. Uh, we've seen similar things. And I know everyone doesn't want to trade Frank, but, you know, Frank has objectively not been good. He just has not. And uh, when they got offers for like a couple seconds for him, reportedly, allegedly, they did not want to do that. They wanted a first for him. And Frank Milikina is not worth a first round pick from what he's shown. So it's like, I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, the Knicks signed a bunch of these you know, players this summer and, you know, so that they can flip them because that's what I think. That's what, that, that was my first thought, the way they, they signed so many players so rapidly. And it seemed like they were just trying to sign all the shooters. You know, initially it was Reggie Bullock, Wayne Ellington. Eventually it was uh, Marcus Morris thrown in there. Bobby Portis is a, a, a big who can, you know, he's a jump shooting big. He pick and pop. He loves the mid range. He can shoot from three. I think he was shooting 39% last year for Washington, if I'm not mistaken. So, I think the Knicks were signing shooters either A, in an effort to uh, finally catch up to the rest of the NBA in that department, or B, to move some of those guys because you pay a premium for shooting in 2019. So I don't want to give like Scott Perry too much credit for something he might not do. And in the past, they've shown that they just don't do often, which is uh, flip guys for expi- you know on expiring deals. But I'd like to think like Marcus Morris to answer your question would be the obvious candidate. He's just a very solid. Uh, he's going to rebound for you. He's going to defend for you. He's going to step out and he can hit tough shots. You know, him and his brother, they love to to bang down low and hit those little fadeaway uh, mid-range jumpers on you. He, he spots up, catches and shoots. So a guy like that, you can play almost anywhere on any team in the league. So to me, if they were going to move a guy – you should be trying to move Marcus Morris to Mm -hmm. get as much as you can because somebody's going to give you something for him. Normally, that's the type of guy that a contender looks at at the trade deadline and goes, okay, we got to go all in. Right. That's how guys like Timothy Mozgov get, you know, the have have the Cavs send out two firsts in order to get him because they go, okay, we have this one week, you know, one weakness. We got to show up. We think we're really close. We're going to overpay because we need that guy. So, Again, I hope the Knicks are smart enough to do that. I hope. Like, if you can move a Wayne Ellington for a second, fucking do it. Wayne Ellington is not going to be here long term. If you can move Bobby Portis for a late first or something at the deadline or an early second, like, just just do it. He's on an expiring deal. Like, don't be afraid to do those deals. I just don't know that they will. And that that's what worries me about that question. So I, I, I agree with you pretty much on everything you're saying here. Um Morris kind of is the obvious answer, like I was saying before, too. And I think that when the Knicks signed him, I think that was kind of part of the agreement. Like, 
you know, a out of nowhere, last minute, $15 million one year deal. Like that's, that's definitely a, uh, a movable kind of con- a salary move. Although, you, you know, you think they probably would have liked to get him a little bit lower considering they, that I think they want to move him. But, you know, regardless, like that's probably the, the obvious move that'll get you the, mo- the most value back. Um, all the guys on team options, like you were saying, uh, Bobby Portis is another good bet for that. Um, with Neil Aquina, I'm re- like, that's the one that's really interesting to me as far as trade deadline targets go. Because, like, if he's not playing well, if he's playing as to where he's been so far, you know, in his career, he's got he's got one more year after this year on his deal at just over $6 million. And if he's not playing well, then, you know, that contract's not worth it. But if you try to move it, like, you're not going to get anything back. You might have to take on salary or you might have to even give up a pick to get rid of him if he's not playing well by that time. Um, but if he is playing well, if he's finally starting to put it together a little bit, you know, I don't know if I want to trade him for, for a first round pick either, because then it's like, okay, well we have, uh, you know, now we finally are seeing that potential out of Frank Nielakina that we've been hoping to see. But I guess it really is just a judgment call. Cause we're like, is this a flash in the pan or is this actually you know, Frank's starting to live up to his potential. Part of me wants to say just cash in on the asset then. And part of me wants to say, you know, keep him because he's a relatively affordable player who you might be able to, you know, keep around long term. But, um, but yeah, uh, you know, other than that, I'm kind of in the same boat with you on everybody. Like they have a lot of movable pieces. If you can get a second for Ellington, do it. You know, if you can get a late first, early second for, for, uh, you know, Portis, go for it. I'm pretty much all, I'm pretty much in the same boat with you there. So do you have something else you want to hit me with? Yeah. So what exactly will the identity of this team be, at least offensively? Mm-hmm. Because last year, um, they very obviously had none. It was basically, uh, Fizdale let them essentially have a free-for-all with isolations like that was the entire season was just dudes trying to get theirs. And you can't tell me otherwise, aside from a couple set plays to try to get Knox running downhill. Um, it was a majority of like just Isozo going to get his and, you know, Moutier going to get his and Knox going to get his, like it just wasn't enjoyable. You right, had vets right. kind of trying to, make the most out of their second chance, their opportunities like Vonley. And he was eating for a while too, and he was very good. So, but I mean, it's just, what do you think that this is going to look like now? Because to me last year, we gave Fizdale a pass because we we're like, okay, a lot of rookies, really no talent on this team. We'll give him a pass, you know, wait till he has some real players. Well, now you went out, you, you got Julius Randle, who's a legit NBA player, 21 and 10 guy. You got Mitchell Robinson entering year two. Mm-hmm. And he looks like a defensive anchor. You got R.J. Barrett, third overall pick, highly touted. Uh, you have Dennis Smith now, full season of him, where his back isn't injured. So, like, what, right, what, right what there, do you think this is going to look like? Those last two names, I think, will be the the two biggest cogs in what this offense will look like. I think that, you know, I, I think that the obvious priority for the Knicks right now is to, you know, capitalize on R.J. Barrett. It's the highest draft pick you've had in some time. Um, I think it's really trying to like get moving with RJ Barrett quick. Cause you don't want another thing with Kevin Knox where it's like, he's just kind of, you know, 
going through the season and you don't know, you know, if he's going to, if he's going to be good or not really. And with RJ Barrett, there's already some questions regarding what his, you know, actual NBA potential will be. Um, interestingly enough in summer league, we saw him as most, you know, more of a facilitator early before he came on towards the end of the tournament was able to pick up the scoring load a little bit. But I think that, you know, the, the two most interesting pieces for the Knicks, like other than Mitchell Robinson, I think they pretty much think they know what they have with him, which could be debatable or not. But, um, I I think it's going to be seeing what you really have with Dennis Fitz Jr. Seeing how comfortable he would be you know, running an offense like this and then seeing what his mesh is like with RJ Barrett, like those guys are going to run a lot. And if they can find some chemistry early on, I think the rest of the, um, I, I really think the rest of the, the team will kind of go around them. I think Julius Randall's a good pro who has a, you know, pretty good range and, and, you know, pretty good defense too. So I, I don't really see a problem with him being able to fit in and do the things he's got to do. Mitchell Robinson is Mitchell Robinson. Like he's just going to stay on the block and, and, you know, knock everything out of the air. Like I'm not too worried about those other two guys at the position. Um, and then it just kind of becomes like what happens with the, the other wing spot um, and whether you're going to throw, cause you kind of need a shooter in there. So it, it depends on who you're going to put in there. If you're going to, you know, start somebody like Ellington even or something, or if you're going to start Morris or whatnot, but you need somebody to add some shooting onto there. So I feel like, it's going to be what RJ Barrett and Dennis Smith, what kind of chemistry they end up developing early on. And, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a fast team. They're going to have a, they're the, if I could call anything to the identity, I think they're going to be fast. I think they will be pretty transition based. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that I don't think it's going to be a, a great shooting team. I don't think it's going to be, I don't think we're going to be known for our three point shooting this season or anything like that. But I do think athleticism and, uh, and, you know, rim running bigs, I'd say are probably going to be the, the, uh, the two th- ways that the Knicks get their offense going into the season. They had better fucking run all season. Yeah. No, like they, there's no, excuse for what happened last year like that's that's all i'm thinking this offense needs to be predicated on getting out on the break and with mitchell robinson there's no reason that that shouldn't be an issue he in basically half a season of playing full-time ended up finishing second in the league in blocks per game with 2.4 so give him a full season i don't know if he's gonna lead the league but he obviously could very well be in contention for it if he finished second last year like this should only go where he's contesting shots and if he's blocking them or not, you know, Randall's a very good rebounder. So either him, somebody's going to get the rebound. Randall's a very good transition player and just go. That should be it. Block a shot, let it be altered, get the rebound and just outlet. You know, Randall push the, he can push the pace. He we've seen him do it in LA, we've seen him do it in New Orleans. Just just dribble, just go, get out, just start hauling ass, sprinting down the court. RJ is a good transition player. Dennis is a good transition player. Whoever gets the rebound, just get it to one of those three guys, Randall, RJ, or Dennis, and just run. That's all I ask. That's all I ask. If they're not hitting threes, but they're shooting a bunch, okay, that happens. Maybe guys didn't take strides that you, you hoped would, like Knox or something. But um, there's no excuse with the athletes that they have on this team to not run. Like I, That's going to be, I think, the biggest thing that's going to bother me all season is if I'm watching a very stagnant 
slow offense by the Knicks where Randall gets a rebound and then he gives it to Dennis and they're walking it up the court. Like if they, that's the if that's the norm, I'm going to be very very angry. There's no reason that these guys shouldn't be just. That's the only way they're going to be successful and exceed expectations. Yeah, and they're willing. Like, you got to run, like sprint, like you got to run these guys out of the gym. You saw last year. The only point I want to make on that is the Kings made a dramatic difference from two years ago to last year. Oh, good point. Because they they embraced the speed. They embraced the Aaron Fox is fast, but he a good athlete. He can you know, shoot and transition, catch and shoot. Um, they gave him more shooters, which the Knicks filled out with more shooters last year. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if everything goes right for the Knicks, if Dennis takes a leap, he, like Knox took a leap, uh, not Knox, like Fox took a leap last year, like they still only won low 30s in games, but like it was a fun low 30s. It was a, oh, we might be in the playoffs. We might not make the playoffs, but at least we're in the conversation. Like to me, that's acceptable. But it's going to take a lot of those guys taking big steps, but you got to embrace that speed. Like you, enough with trying to implement systems that don't fit your players. Like mm. just Fisdale, you know, day one training camp needs to look at his roster and go, okay, I have athletes. I have guys that love to push the pace, love to get out in the open court and just embrace that and lean into that. That's the only way that they're going to exceed those expectations and hit that low thirties mark in my opinion. Yeah. And I think, I think they will. I think you'll still have moments of stagnant because it's just or stagnants or whatever the, uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, I, I think that, just because of them being so young and a lot of players needing to gel together and everything like you will still, there's certainly going to be games and stretches where, you know, things just kind of look stuck and there's going to be adjustments that have to be made and the rotations going to have to get changed up a little bit, but overall, like, yeah, it's everything you're saying. This team is too young, too athletic, too long, like just too fast to be, uh, to be, you know, to be stuck in uh, a stagnant half court offense. And I think the Kings are a good comparison um, kind of, I guess, going along the same, uh, the same lines. I have a couple of questions about some of those players you just mentioned, but first I want to tell all of our listeners about Harry's razors. Um, if you haven't used Harry's razors before, I'd highly recommend them. Uh, you can join the 10 million who have tried Harry's by claiming your special offer by going to harrys.com slash blue wire because Harry's founders were two regular guys tired of getting ripped off and paying for overpriced razors. Uh, and they, so they decided just to make some quality durable blades at a fair price. It's just $2 per blade. If you don't like your shave, you can let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Uh, you can go ahead refresh your wallet. Summer's over, but, uh, you know, give your, give your, uh, give your face, you know, you don't need to let the winter hair grow in yet. You don't need to let that beard get too bushy. You can, uh, you know, clean it up or, you know, if you do, if you're a beard guy, I know I am from time to time, like, you know, you gotta, you gotta keep it clean though. You gotta keep it well trimmed and you can do it with Harry's. They have a, a weighted ergonomic handle. It's a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, giving you that close shave. Uh, you know, they got a rich lathery shave gel to keep you smelling great and the travel blade cover, making it easy to take it on the go. Uh, so listeners of the next wall podcast, go redeem your trial set at harrys.com slash blue wire. Uh, and let them know that we sent you to help support the show. Um, real quick too, just before we get right back into it. Uh, I got, I got a little something for you guys from my bookie at the end of a hard week. It's great to sit down, take some time off. Watch some football. Am I right, Kyle? He said, yeah. You are right. <laughs> G- 
Game-winning touchdowns on two-minute drives, running backs racing down the sidelines with no one to stop them. There's nothing else like the NFL, and there's no way to make the games even more exciting than to bet on them. So do the smart thing. Go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sports book. Don't forget, when you, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. And mybookie.ag is the best in the business. It's where I play, and it's where you should, too. Um, yeah, so join now. Oh, this is the important part here, too. I missed that in the read. Uh, join now. MyBookie will double your first deposit. That's free money right there. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Kyle, my question to you is, let's start with Dennis Smith Jr. here. Uh, obviously, he came over last season when the Knicks traded Christoph Porzingis and Tim Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee and Trey Burke out to the Dallas Mavericks. They got back Dennis Smith Jr. They got DeAndre Jordan back. Uh, they got those two first round picks, but you know, when it comes down to it, I see those picks probably as more of trade pieces. Um, you know, when it comes down to it, I think Dennis Smith jr. Is kind of the centerpiece of this trade here. So do you, you know, just kind of thinking about where the Knicks might be right now. Do you think that he fits into their long-term plan? Do you think that he, they're considering him part of the long-term plan or, you know, do you think that, he's going to end up being more of a trade piece. I'd be really interested in your thoughts, which seems kind of unlikely right now, but if you think there's a little bit of a uh, competition between he and Frank, uh, you know, to see who actually ends up holding on to that point guard spot, because I highly doubt the team ends up keeping both of them beyond this season. Um, So in no way is this a competition. I want to make that very clear for the Frank stands that I've been combating all summer. I love Frank. I do. I wish him the best. I hope that he turns it around here. It would be very fun if he was what we all hoped he was at the beginning when we thought he could be a, a, a dominant two-way guard. You know, maybe not somebody who's going to overpower you with scoring, but give you 15, 16 a night in his peak and a lot of good defense. Like, you know, he could pass a little bit. I, I would love for that to be the case. It's not a competition. In no way is it a competition. He stinks. He stunk for a while. Like, when he stops doing that, then we can talk. But, you know, I'm a little bit encouraged by his uh, his play in the, the FIBA World Cup over the summer. Um, he, I know a lot of people made a, a lot out of that. He still averaged about 8-2-2. Two, and two. His shooting numbers were what was uh, actually encouraging there. Uh, he was actually shooting like an actual guard. Uh, and that was fun. He was hitting threes. Um, he was, you know, finishing at the rim a little bit better. But, you know, that's – it's very good competition. But And they did beat Team USA, and he had a nice strong finish to that game after a really slow start. But um, we, we always do this with Frank where we thought last year there'd be a competition because who who didn't with Emmanuel Moutier and Trey Burke? I know I even thought it was a competition. and. Uh, he stunk. He had five good games, not even, when he finally got his chance to start. He had that good game against the Warriors. I think it was back-to-back good games he had. And then he followed that up with the Donut game with 0 0 0 0 and 0 And then he, uh, I think for the next five games, he only scored three total points and contributed like three or four rebounds and nothing else. Like, 
he's he's got to do more than disappear majority of the time he's on the court. Like, so again, until then, like, it's not a competition. Like, Dennis realistically should progress from last season. Uh, before his back injury, he was shooting better. You know, he's shooting 34% from deep in Dallas. Obviously, his role was a little bit different. But, you know, then he came to New York and subsequently hurt his back. So, but his playmaking was better. He was giving you five assists. Um, his turnovers were down. His defense was a lot, lot better from year one to year two. He played really solid defensively, especially on ball last year. He has lapses occasionally off ball, but it's not a competition. If anything, the competition is going to be with that bullshit Alfred Payton signing, which I'm nothing against Alfred, but I just don't understand. I forgot all about Alfred Yeah, Alfred Payton. Again, I don't mean to like bash Frank. I really, really hope that Frank does really well and then overtakes Alfred for any of those minutes. I'd love to see Frank play well and play in those minutes because I've watched Alfred in Orlando. I've watched him. When he was in Phoenix, I've watched him when he's in New Orleans. And last year, he was better, to be fair. But there is a reason why he can't stick. Yeah, I, I you know, like, he was even on the he, gets this, he, he gets this rep as a defender, and I don't like that because we tend to do this thing in sports, especially in basketball, when a guy can't shoot well. We think, oh, well, surely he's even better at those other things that, you know, if he's not good at shooting, surely he's a good passer. Surely he's a good, you know, defender. He's not at all a good defender uh, at all. Like, just really go back and watch literally any of the games. He is not a good defender. I don't know where that came from. He's it, it's just not it's not true. It's almost never been true. He he's gotten a little bit better, but he's he is not a good defender. He's a good passer. He's a he's a better passer than Dennis is. Uh, he's a little bit better on the rebounds, but even still, with the with the passing and the rebounds, he edges Dennis uh, out barely. So, to me, this. Is Dennis's job to lose going into camp? Like he should be the starter. He should expect to be the starter, and he should play like the starter. And if he comes in and plays like shit, that's on him. Like that's the only way that I'm viewing this. Like to me, he's clear cut the starter and probably the best prospect that they've had at that position since. Would you like to take a stab at this prospect? Not just point guard overall, because I would I would imagine Raymond Felton part one, not. His second act was probably the best point guard since what Marbury, but like yeah, you notice how we have to do these noticeable gaps, like every six years. Like there's just a, it's like Chris Duhan and a barren wasteland. Like, yeah, I would say like it's got to be Dennis. Got to be Dennis. Yeah, I, he's definitely the most promising like franchise potential point guard that they they've had in in yeah sometime since you know, since the Marbury days, or I'm, I'm trying to think even beyond that a little bit, like, yeah, first stint Raymond Felton, uh, the days when Iman Shumpert was a point guard. Yeah, it's, it's not, we had a lot of Jose Calderon between then and now. So, uh, so yeah, so there's that. So, but yeah, I totally forgot Alfred Payton was even on this roster. So that kind of just throws that question out because it, it's, I mean, if Frank's going to be a point guard, he's third string for sure. Um, and I, I think that Dennis, you know, I, I think that right now Peyton kind of projects as more of the starter, but I, I, I think that it's Dennis. It's like Dennis's spot for the taking. And I, I, but again, if he doesn't amount to that, like 
I don't, I just don't see a world where he and Frank are on this roster after next season. Or at least 2021, or yeah, at least me, see them both getting extended past their contract because, you know, that's going to be the year when they have money available and the Knicks are going to want to spend that. If they're going to give one of those guys, they got to give them new contracts. They're only going to give it to one of them. Yeah, to me, if Dennis was Dennis from year one, where he was just scoring inefficiently, you know, he was passing year one. I don't know where this thing came from where Dennis doesn't pass. It's something that I've talked about on Twitter a lot. Um, he he passes like a normal young guard, like you'd expect him to. He makes he makes reads all the time. He makes good reads quite often. When we saw him come to New York, he was diming guys up. You know, he would head always up. He before he even crossed half court, if he saw an open three point shooter, he was flinging passes. Uh, he frequently uh, was hitting Dotson and Knox. If you look at the numbers, for just really wide open looks. For three, like not for mid-range bullshit shots, like for three, like those are the looks that you want to generate. So I don't know where this came from, that he's not a good passer simply because he's a scoring guard by nature, but he he passes and he passes well and he passes pretty frequently. So the next step for Dennis is to continue to be uh, good at defense, continue to progress as a passer because you can always do better there. Five assists is good for a second year guard, but, you know, I'd like to see Six, six and a half this year. Right? That would make me feel good. And uh, the other thing, too, with his scoring, he's a very physical player, but he's got to embrace that when he goes to the rim. He likes to, because he's so athletic, he likes to kind of do those acrobats, you know, acrobatic stuff around the rim, and it kind of affects his uh, his numbers finishing at the rim, which are not very good. So, And he doesn't get to the line a lot either. And to me, that's telling you kind of an obvious story there where he's – avoiding the contact at the rim to not get fouled, to try to make the shot. Like, go up, go in hard, go get fouled, get to the line. I know his free throws are kind of busted, but get to the line. Like, you're going to get more points that way. It is what it is. Like, that's going to help your efficiency in the long run. So, to me, like, I, I don't know why they wouldn't extend him. Like, you do, like if they would have gotten a Kyrie or something, I would have understood, you know? But there's no, there's no free agents coming up this year that are going to be if they're better than him, that much better than him at his position. Like to me, like I, I can't see again, unless he plays himself out of it, why they wouldn't move forward with him. It would take like Frank being fucking lights out from day one in, in a transcendent way, or, you know, Alfred suddenly becoming a, a lights out shooter. For, like it would take a lot of extremes to get outplayed by who's on his team. And I don't see who they could replace him with. Well, give, so, give me this just a, I for once expect like them to resign somebody from a rookie deal. Like I really do. Yeah. I expect them to resign him. Well, let's all right. I want you to just give me like a quick two second answer on this one because it's on my list. I want to knock it off. And we've been talking about Frank Nielakina. What would he have to do this season to get like to give himself a little bit more of a leash? Like what for us to be thinking positively and not with all the ifs and ands about Frank. Uh, you know, like what would he actually have to do this season? He's got to not play offense like he's, you know, wearing a blindfold is the best way I could put it. Like he, everything he does offensively is like second guessing. That's all it is. Like he, he's not sure if he wants to make a pass. He's not sure if he wants to, to drive. He's not sure when he drives, if he wants to go up for the layup that he decided a second ago to go up for he's, you know, like there's always this indecision in all of his 
in all of his moves and any anything that he does on or off ball on offense, he's just never sure of himself. Whereas defensively, like he just plays. You know, he has an issue getting burned by quicker guards, but generally, like he doesn't think when he plays defense. It's just instincts. Like he's got to just kind of trust that. We started to see that a little bit more in the World Cup. You know, I made sure I was watching those games. Um, he's not there yet. Even in the World Cup, he played better. Sometimes you saw that a little bit more, but the thing is we need to go from sometimes to all the time. So he needs to be more decisive. That's the first step before you even get to any of the results. He needs to be more decisive. He, to me, he should be playing a little bit more off ball now and just sort of embracing being kind of a slasher, a cutter and a spot up guy. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like be the secondary ball handler to Dennis out there. I'd still love to see that combo. This is why I'm annoyed by the Alfred Payton signing. I was really excited because I thought, okay, we can finally stop putting all this pressure on Frank to be like the point guard or the backup point guard and just let him go out there with someone who could actually handle the ball, score, pass, get to the rim. And all Frank has to do is make those secondary reads. That's it. That's it. It it makes it easier for him, and it should have made him more effective. So I'm angry about the Alfred signing for that reason. For those of you who think I hate Frank, just so you understand, I I think that's what he needs to do is be on the floor with a Dennis and even an Alfred, whoever. He needs to be the – or an RJ, if RJ is going to be the primary ball handler out there. He needs to be the secondary ball handler. He needs to be more decisive. And most importantly, he needs to make baskets. Like, you can't be a guard in 2019 and be shooting mid-30s from the field as a whole and less than 30% from three. You you can't. You can, it doesn't matter how good you are defense. You will, you're will you just not going to stay on the floor. You just won't. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to be transcendent levels of defense, like prime Ron Artest or prime Tony Allen to be able to do that. And he's, he's good. He's good at defense. He's not there yet, though. So that's what he's got to do. Just be more decisive. Hit your shots. Like, that's... The, the biggest two things that he could do, because he can't really control being the secondary ball handler, because Fisdale, we don't know. But just when you, when you do get those minutes, Matt, just if you want to cut, if you see a lane, cut. If you want to drive, you see a lane, drive. If you if you get the ball and you have a sliver of space and you know you can get a shot up and you want to shoot, just let it fly. Just if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But like we're a lot of us fans are mad because he's he's not he has to be more, doing he has stuff. To be more decisive. Uh, what? Yeah. What's what's your next question that you have? Okay. How do you feel about having potentially two playmaking ball handlers start together in Dennis Smith Jr. and R.J. Barrett? Is that redundant to you in a way, or is there a way Fizdale can make it work? Like if R.J. is at the three instead of at the two, is that enough of like you know for for spacing purposes offensively? But how do you feel? Because this is something that I've seen floated around and. I think they'll be okay if they're playing fast, but it is questionable to some degree. Well, I, I think it's really interesting that we are viewing RJ Barrett as a uh, playmaker now because we've really only seen that out of him in in small spurts, you know, since the summer league, and that that was really about it. Like there wasn't a ton of that with him in college, uh, but I do think that that becomes part of his identity as he moves forward. So. I do think that it's a good, I think that it's going to happen too. I I think he and Dennis Smith will end up starting together um, so that they can both take kind of some of that passing because neither of them are, I don't think either of them are really playmaking first guards or guard forward in Barrett's case. Like 
I, I do think that they are, uh, you know, I think that having them both together could kind of like let them split up those duties, go a little half and half on it. Um, so like, we'll have to see from there. And it, like, I, so I do think it's a good thing. I think that that's something Fizdale should be exploring. And I, I just am interested to see what goes around that. Because if you say that you have, and we were say, saying this earlier in the pod, but if you have Dennis Smith Jr. and you have RJ Barrett and you have Mitchell Robinson and you have Julius Randle in the lineup together, you know, who, who is shooting? How do you space the floor for that? Uh, and how do, you, how do you make, especially with all the other forwards on the roster, how do you have these guys, how are you going to be able to let these guys kind of play together without having everything clogged up you know, inside the line. So to me, the bigger, I, I think that having multiple playmakers on the floor is something that Fizdale should certainly be exploring. But for me, the question is what ends up happening with that spacing and how much shooting can they add into that mix? Yeah. Like ideally I'd like them to start RJ at the three, which is something that I initially did not want them to do, but I have since changed my, uh, my thought on it. I'd like them to start RJ at the three, Dennis at the one. And I'd really, really enjoy if they slid in like Damian Dotson at the two. Mm. That might be too many guys who are young that we're expecting to play winning basketball, but Damian Dotson was really efficient as mostly a catch and shoot guy or, uh, you know, cutting to the rim. Like he is very low uh, usage. He almost never, never needs the ball. So I would enjoy Dotson fitting in there. Arlington obviously works in there too, but I, you need a guy who's not going to want to dribble is kind of the way I'm looking at it. Like Dotson defends and he, you know, he defends and he shoots. Like that's all you need. Like that's what you need between those guys. Dennis, for all the things that he does solid or good right now, like he still needs to show a lot more with his jump shooting. RJ, same thing. There's promise there. He's very young, but he was not very efficient at Duke. And he had a lot of, you know, three-point attempts, a lot of jump shooting attempts, so he needs to get more efficient too. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, he, he, you got to put in a spot-up shooter at some point. And if you do play RJ at the two, then to me, you got to put Marcus Morris at the three because Knox is going to want to do some stuff with the ball there that I'm not sure. And it, that's not a good defensive lineup either. So, to me, like you need to have like a, a Marcus Morris at the three, if you're going to play RJ at the two, cause you need the defensive shooting, or you got to have a Damian Dotson, Wayne Ellington, like one of those guys at the two and RJ at the three. Like to me, that's the only way that it would make sense. Like if Knox is in at the three, I don't know what the fuck we're doing here. Yeah. I, I don't really see that happening. I, I think that Dotson is another kind of guy that I would kind of slip my mind uh, as we were kind of going to do this, but I do think he's kind of the natural fit in there. He's kind of that really low money, like Clay Thompson role, where he's not going to dribble much. He's going to be able to get his shots off. He's a little bit bigger than most, uh, you know, most two guards are. And that kind of gives you some versatility with, you know, where Barrett's going to play and everything. So I, I do think he's kind of the natural slot in there. A um, couple more to go through, then maybe we can do a little lightning round to wrap these up at the very end. Um, so let's kind of look. Let's look through a couple of these last individual players, and then we can start looking at a couple more of the big picture team things. Um, obviously, one of the guys that we're really concerned with is, or that we're we have high expectations for, is Mitchell Robinson, a uh, guy who outplayed all the other rookies last year. You know, came out of nowhere, thirty second pick, or thirty, I forget exactly what pick he was, but 
in the 30s, you know, like high second round pick and came out and far exceeded his draft position. And now the question is, you know, how he's going to look as a starter. The Knicks haven't slotted in to be a starter. Bobby Portis has stated that he's going to be backing up Mitchell Robinson. So how do you think that's going to go? Do you think that he right now in his second year, he Mitchell Robinson is uh, how old is he right now? Uh, he was born in 98, so he is 20, 21 years old. He'll be turning 22 throughout the rest of the season, throughout the season. Do you think that he is old enough to match up with or, or strong enough, uh, big enough, capable enough to match up with these other guys on the, or these other centers he'll be playing against night after night? I think so. Just because he's so long, like he's very, very lengthy and he's very athletic. It's, it's one and like the way he moves defensively, like he reacts very quickly versus, you know, KP kind of lumbered around sometimes. Like if he was at the rim, KP was a really good rim protector. There's no denying that. But getting to the rim was an issue or getting out the shooters was an issue. Like we've seen Mitch kind of be in every kind of situation recovery wise. So I don't know that I'm like concerned about him. Like he's obviously needs to add a little bit more muscle, but He's so fast as it is, you know, I just think being fast and athletic and it's not like he's weak. He's just, you know, he's a little light, but I think he makes up for that with how, you know, high he gets up when he's going to block shots. Like, I, I don't know that I'm super concerned. Like I'm trying to think of like a matchup that would, where he might get eaten up. And I think it's a guy that isn't predictable. Like if he's matched up with, you know, Jokic from Denver, where Jokic might be bodying him up in the post, right? Because he is. He's a big body, and he he's super efficient and super good around the rim. Um, that might be tough because when you start to think, okay, well, he's going to body me up here, then he might throw a ridiculous pass, you know, down the baseline for a, a weirdly Jokic assist. Like, those kinds of matchups might be a little bit tough, like playmaking bigs, but, like, I'm not too concerned about him just, like, banging with guys, if that makes sense, because I think – yeah, he's probably going to get shoved back underneath the rim, but then ultimately when someone's going to go up for a shot, like Mitch recovers well, you know, he's going to go up and block it or contest it at the very least. I'm not worried about him getting kind of like tossed to the side. So that's just my, like he, Mitch is the one dude that I'm super high on of all the, like including RJ, Dennis, Mitch is like the one guy where I'm, I, I would bet a considerable amount of money is going to be okay. And me having that kind of faith in him means that I think he's going to be okay you know, being a starting center and night to night having to deal with those battles. I just think what we saw from him last year and his rebounding got better throughout the, like, I just think he's going to be okay. I really do. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of in the same boat there where players are, you know, there's less of those like bang centers down low. Like the guys, he, like once Nurkic comes back, like that's a guy he might struggle with, uh, you know, like Jokic is another guy we're saying, uh, but yeah, they, we're kind of few and far between uh, with the um, the guys who are like we have longer centers in the league now versus the more like robust, uh, you know, post domineering kind of guys. So I think that with Mitch's length and and you know agility and and blocking ability, um, you know, I I, I kind of feel the same way. I don't see him being all that caught up around there. 
Uh, do you do you have any other questions on your list, or do you want to do some uh, do a lightning round of some of these other ones? Um, let me just see what I have here to see if they're lightning round worthy. Say so, uh, here. Uh, yeah, I got I, I got I got okay. no, I think I got a good one that will make people happy because this goes off of Mitch. Where do you stand on the Julius Randle Mitchell Robinson four to five you know four and five pairing? Um, are non-Knicks fans as low on them as Knicks fans are high on them? Because I expect, if nothing else, to go right this year. Like me being wrong about Dennis Smith, RJ, whatever. Like we know Julius Randle is a twenty-one and ten bucket machine, rebounding machine, transition player. We know Mitchell Robinson's a bona fide defender, a rim protector. Like on paper, it makes a ridiculous amount of sense for those two to be playing alongside each other. Are we being too high and expecting that to be a slam dunk pairing, a slam dunk fit? It's going to be, it's going to work great. Like, where do you stand on those? I two? mean, I don't, I don't think it's going to be like a slam dunk pairing. Um, I, I think that Mitchell Robinson could probably use somebody with like just a little bit more range next to him. Like, like a Kevin Love or somebody would probably be the more ideal uh, fit next to Mitchell Robinson, but when you look at Julius Randle, like you're not that far off. You're sacri- you are sacrificing a, a consistent three pointer for sure, but you're not. But as far as like spacing within the the line, like you're not really giving up that much more on that. Like I think that he still does have enough room. I think the important thing is that Randle will still give Robinson enough room on defense to be able to kind of hold down that that block position and kind of be able to roam the paint a little bit and play a little bit like a safety in ways. Um, you know, even if the Knicks don't uh, employ that zone defense, they were breaking out last season for better or worse. Like you still want a guy that's going to give Mitch enough room to operate down there and see things coming his way. So I, I think in that respect, it'll be good. I do think it's going to be something that's going to catch the rest of the NBA by surprise. Um, I, you know, I don't think a lot of people are expecting that, or if they are, they're kind of blow on it. They, you know, it, obviously the the joke is that the Knicks didn't you know struck out on everybody, but Julius Randle is a is a good pickup and he's going to be a good player for this team. He's going to be you know probably a number one option for a while and and maybe a, a you know a second option for you know for some nights or moving forward once some of these other guys develop. But um, yeah, no, I'm 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 may I'm not through the roof over the pairing. I don't think it's like the most dynamic, uh, you know, front court pairing that I've ever seen, but I'm, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to having some consistency there between those two, where, you know, they're going to lock down those starting spots. It's going to, it's going to do a lot for how the rotations pan out and how this team kind of builds together throughout the season. Um, I do, I have one more player question and then we will actually start our lightning round here. So this one goes back to RJ Barrett and it's, it's as simple as, what if he's just not the player that we're expecting from him? What if his trajectory has been, what if his first season goes a little bit more like Neil Aquino or, or Kevin Knox's? Um, how do we, how do you think Knicks fans will react to that? And how do you think the team will react to that from there? Um, I mean, it depends, I guess what, like how far he doesn't live up to expectations. If you know what I mean? Like I was saying, um, you know, for a while on the podcast that, um, you know, as we were doing, you know, when we knew where we were going to draft him, that's kind of when, you know, I started locking in a little bit more with my takes. Like I felt he had a really safe floor. So I guess 
it depends on that for me. Like, I think, you know, for the type of player that people think Frank is, like, if RJ is a guy who's actually like, all right, well, you know what? He's not as great as we hope, but it, yeah, if he's giving you like 15 semi-efficient points a night, you know, he, he's giving you, you know, four or five assists because he averaged almost five at Duke last year. Let's say the playmaking translates a little bit in the NBA. If he's like kind of like just a, a good second or third option on a decent team, like I don't, I, I, you can't really be mad at that. Like if you get a, the way I look at the draft is I know everybody wants a star. We all want stars. That's the dream. You draft somebody, RJ comes in, he lights it up like Trey Young or Luca last year. And we're like, Oh, okay, we're fine. We, we got the one guy, you know? But um, for me, it's, it's mostly, did we at least get a, a good starter? Did we at least get a starting caliber player from the draft? Like if we get starting caliber players, like right now, Mitchell Robinson is a good defensive starting caliber player. Like to me already, that's a win. That's like, okay, we got one. Like that's a lock of it. You know, Knox, we have no fucking clue. So like for me, if RJ is at least that where it's like, okay, I feel comfortable sticking him on the wing. He can hold his own. He's at least going to be okay. Most nights, solid most nights. Like to me, that's okay. But like, if it comes to the point where it's like, you know, he, he can't shoot at all. The, the playmaking, there's none of it. You know, defensively, he's a train wreck. You know, train wreck. He can't get by anybody in the NBA. Like, okay, like, yeah, I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to be kind of annoyed. I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. So my thing with him is it's wherever his floor ends up being. But to me, he should have a pretty safe floor. So nobody should be disappointed if, like, he's just a solid starter at the end of the day. Like, that's the way I try to look at it. I, I yeah I agree. I'm more like I'm wondering what what he has to do this season for him to stay in good favor with us. Because we I mean we have a tendency of doing this. We've done this for the last couple of years. I feel like the only one we really the only player we really didn't do this with is is Porzingis because he came on like right away. But like give me like what's the the one thing you want to show. What's the one thing you want to see from him as you go, like the one skill that he develops and is markedly better at, at the end of this season than he is coming in to the season with like, like what's that one thing that you, that you're really looking for him to, even if it's a skill he has now, but like, you know, jump up a peg. Like what, what can we, what is the one factor that we could look at with RJ Barrett that could say that we could define and say, yeah, he improved this this season. So he, he had a good year. So for RJ Barrett, like what I'm looking for is uh, just basically offense. Like I don't care anything about the defense. Even the good defensive rookies are often not good at it, you know, per an NBA standard. Uh, standard. So all I'm looking for is most of his issues to me in terms of his lack of efficiency or his lack of uh, playmaking a little bit more where it was a crowded offense and a crowded college floor. He had no outside shooters around him. Um, a lot of what coach K was having them run was just like this weird congested gross offense. So the way I'm looking at it is he's going to have a lot of space. You know, he should be getting a lot of open looks, you know, from three or otherwise. So if he's just more efficient, if he's hitting some threes at a better clip, I think he shot like 30% from at Duke and he was supposed to be the jump shooter. Like if he's in like, 33, 34%, kind of like Knox did when he had his open looks last year from three. If he's hitting threes like that, okay. Like I would be, that would make me feel good. If he's assisting at a similar level in the NBA immediately, 
if he's giving you like three and a half, four assists right out of the gates, like I'd be pretty happy with that. So all I'm really looking for him is to just be a little bit more efficient on offense than he was in college and a little bit more of a playmaker than he was in college. Like to me, that'd be fine. I don't care about the defense, the rebounding I'm hoping will come. He's a big body. He likes rebounding. He likes getting dirty, but if he's just hitting his shots a little, you know, a little bit more efficient, he's just making those passes. Um, Cause he, this team has outside shooting now they do. So there shouldn't be an issue finding guys. So if he's making those reads instead of taking like contested double team shots at the rim, like little stuff like that, more offensive base. Cause that's the way the game is geared in 2019. Uh, the way you got to thrive. So that's all I'm really looking for. Okay. Uh, quick lightning round. We're going to go just a couple of, just give me a couple of quick thoughts on these questions. Uh, if you, do you have any questions left you want to throw out uh, during the lightning round? Or is this all me? Um, I have, if you want, I can kick it off because I actually have an RJ question. Okay, go. Go with the RJ one. This is the lightning round. Let's do it. Bada bing. So, how concerned, one big red flag of his that everybody points out and that we've acknowledged before is his lack of uh, kind of an explosive first step, a quick first step, which is kind of needed in the modern NBA to get by defenders. So, how concerned are you with that? Is that a big big red flag or do you think because he's a physical uh big body that he's going to be able to manage once he gets to the next level yeah i, th- I definitely think that that's a uh, uh i th- i think that's a developable a developable skill for sure i think that that's i think that's more of a recognition thing when he starts playing against these guys at that level um you know i i, I think it's just something he can work with nba coaches on it's something that he can, he can learn being around other nba players like We've seen other guys really be able to to kind of, you know, change their reaction time a little bit and do things a little bit quicker. So, yeah, that that one doesn't really concern me all that much. It, it's more of, you know, how his shooting progresses that kind of gets me. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, at what point in the season or what, what would have to happen? And at what point in the season do you think Fizdale would start to lose some job security? Beyond the hot seat, for as they say. For me, is if they're playing like they did last year. And that doesn't mean n- not just play style, but additionally, um, wins and losses. Like, even if they're playing faster, like if he still has them on that same like 17 to 20 wins trajectory, it's going to get hot because you can't keep adding talented players, however young they may be but you can't sign Julius Randle for $22 million, who I, I obviously love very much, but you can't sign him and then win 22 games this year. You know what I mean? Like you got to show some clear progress. And to me, that's not like five games. Like you, you got to win like 10 more games than you did the year before. Like it's a, it's a baby step, but it, it matters. So to me, if they have like zero offensive identity, if it's just like a free for all of ISO ball and they're underperforming uh, in the win, you know, the win column there, like he could and should be on the hot seat. Cause you have enough, players now where you should be molding some kind of an identity and even if it's not resulting in wins you should be able to see players taking strides in those losses like very clear strides not just you know oh well thank god mitchell robinson blocked three shots tonight but they got blown out by 40 you know what i mean like it's got to be closer losses and you, you know it when you see it kind of thing all right so along those same lines at what point in the season do you think that the knicks would need to make a firm decision on tanking 
Like, what month? At what? What? How many losses do they need to rack up? You know, what is their win percentage got to be before they just decide that, despite whatever expectations they had going into the season, they just need to start. They need to actually try to be going for one of those top picks versus just being forced there. Um, I, I think it's always the trade deadline, and especially in a year like this when, you know, as we discussed earlier, you you signed a bunch of vets who are solid. Like, that's the best way I could word them is solid, and a lot of them are shooters. So if you have not a lot of wins heading into the All-Star break, and it's very similar to last year, you should be selling. Like, to me, there's no two ways about it. You aren't going to bring back most of those guys. So that's when you should try to sell most, if not all of them, to get some kind of young assets or draft assets back. Um, That's, to me, it's it's always the trade deadline. Uh, I'd go with how young they are and how quickly things can go bad. I'd say right after Christmas. Like January, you should kind of know what you're doing as you're kind of gearing up towards the trade deadline. Like if they're really playing like shit after Christmas time and like you just can't get it together that first or second week of January, all right, well, start uh, facilitating some trades and getting some of these vets out of here. Get whatever assets you can and call it a day and basically resume what you did last year and just let the young guys do what they can do and hopefully you get a a top pick again, you know, top three finish or so like this year. An injury to which player would be the most devastating for the Knicks if they hope to finish above 20 wins? Or, you know, let's even rephrase that question. An injury to which player would be the most devastating for the Knicks long-term? Uh, honestly, I with the value of his contract and with how effective he was when he was getting starters minutes, I think it has... I was going to say Julius Randle initially, but Mitchell Robinson. Julius Randle, if his contract was bigger, I'd probably say it, but he has a two-year deal. The third year is a team option. And he's getting like $22 million a year. So to me, like, even if something terrible happens to Julius, God forbid, like, all right, well, you know, worst case scenario, next year he's an expiring deal. Mitchell Robinson, to me, like, you finally got somebody who is low usage on offense, who could be the backbone of your defense to kind of help you mold a new identity moving forward. It's It's easy to try to find offensive players to fill in around that. And... If you lose him when he's on arguably the most valuable contract in the league right now, um, and you know that was before our boy uh, Mayar got there because he did not get a good first contract, Robinson did. So, uh, you know, we hope the Knicks are going to pony up from the the second time around. But when you have a deal that that's that's so cheap and he's so good already, like that's crippling for the future, in my opinion. Like even though it's not going to be on the books, it's just like. Okay, so then we got another. We got a bunch of scores again, basically. A bunch of guys who are just going to go out and try to score, and nobody's going to get a stop. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how they're going to win. Anything that happens for them this season and next season that I'm thinking is good for the team, the future outlook of the team, revolves around Mitchell Robinson being better than he was last year. He was already very good last year defensively. All right. Uh, here is my last one. Of the new signees the Knicks got this past summer, the ones with the uh, team options on their contracts for next year, like, you know, Julius Randle isn't really considered in this equation here. But of uh, Taj Gibson, Bobby Portis, and uh, uh, Alfred Payton, did Ellington get a team option to her? I think he was just a straight one year. Um, 
But of all those guys who got those team option contracts the Knicks were experimenting with this summer, who do you think is the most likely to get picked up in the, in the 2020 offseason? Uh, do you think it's any, do you think it, it's maybe none of them and the Knicks are going to try to go out for one of the free agents next year, despite it being not that strong of a class? Um, or, uh, or do you think that any of these players might be here beyond this cover, this coming season? Uh, well, first of all, Ellington, it does have a two year deal. Okay. It is the option, but it's a two year right, deal. Right. Okay. Um, secondly, uh, Marcus Morris was just a straight one-year deal, if I'm not mistaken, right? He, he, he just got one-year He was, one year he was like million. very last minute. He was a straight-up one-year deal. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think he's the me, only one like, who is new this summer who is only on that one-year deal. The rest, I believe, are too. If Bobby Portis was making less money, I would say Bobby Portis because you need a stretch big who can jump shoot like that, but you do not need a stretch big who can jump shoot like that coming off the bench for $15 million. The only reason he's getting that much is because we need shooting – and we need players who can do that, and no one else was coming here. So we had cap to kill, and okay, we'll overpay a little bit. Um, if he was making a little bit, maybe they restructure his deal or he comes back on a different deal. I could see Portis coming back because you do need stretch bigs who can shoot. Um, the most likely, I think, is somebody like Wayne Ellington. Weirdly, I don't know how much he's going to play this year. It, it's very difficult to project who's going to play. I have no idea what Fizdale is going to do, but... Him being like, I don't know if he's going to start, but even being just a, a guard, you can slide at the two or th- the three, who's, again, you know, a catch-and-shoot guy, a good outside shooter. Um, you need that. And when we have guys who aren't very good at shooting from outside who are going to be creating most of those looks in Dennis Smith Jr. and R.J. Barrett, I think you got to have a surplus of shooters. And I don't expect them to sign anyone big this upcoming summer. So why not? Hopefully, if he fits and plays well this year, again, I have no idea what Fizdale is going to do. But why not just keep the dude who is already here? You know, you already got one shooter. Just keep him. $8 million isn't going to kill you when you're not going to spend a bunch next summer anyway. So Ellington, maybe, I think might be likely just for, you know, the, the need and the dollar amount. I just think, yeah, why not have a good three-point shooter yet again to surround some of these guys Uh with I, I just think it kind of makes some sense, but I again do not know what Fizdale's gonna do. Yeah, I, I I agree with your rationale behind uh keeping Ellington. The only reason I think these guys might get all of them might get picked up or the majority of them might get picked up if they play well enough is uh for that pursuit of those twenty twenty one free agents and that Giannis and Dedekumpo class and everything like that. Like keeping them on the books means that you will for sure have you know, the ability to clear that contract, you know, that you'll have for sure cap space at the end of the, at the end of the 2021 season. And you'll also have a bunch of expiring contracts that season that you can maybe move out and get, you know, again, like we're talking about the low first round picks or the, the early second round picks. Uh, We have an entire season before we get to that point, but um, yeah, I, I just think that the pursuit of, cap space is still something that really drives the Knicks. So I, I kind of have a feeling that it's going to be more what the money looks like versus how the players actually end up performing. But I do think that, um, yeah, if I, if I had to pick one that they would actually want to keep around, uh, you know, because he is adding value to the team, it would probably be, would probably be Ellington. And I would like, 
Ugh, I, I would maybe say Portis, even though he is overpaid for what he brings, but it's all going to depend on how much that backup center position gets used and, you know, and how he can shoot. I'd honestly like to see him play a little bit next to Mitchell Robinson because I think that they would be an interesting uh, space and interior kind of like, you know, two players who I think could play well together in that respect just because of Portis's uh, spacing. But um, that's kind of a different topic. I would think it's either him or Ellington who would stick around. But yeah, I mean, there, so there it is. Uh, you know, before, before we get out of here uh, today, Kyle, like after we talked, after we asked these questions, after all this, like what is, let's get, let's give a little uh, teaser. Like what's one thing you think you're going to be looking out for in training camp in the preseason? Uh, I'm almost going to be hate watching for quotes. I do this every year. Uh, I make up my mind about what I think is the acceptable decisions that David Fisdale should make. And then I get very angry when it doesn't go my way. I feel like a lot of us do that if we're being honest with ourselves, but I digress. So I am hate watching for Alfred Payton starting job. If okay. I see that, I will personally drive to Westchester myself. It's a very short drive. I'll be there Monday for media day anyway. Uh, shout out the Knicks for letting us come for the third year in a row, TKW in the house. But um, I will come and I will physically fight David Fisdale to the death. If I and, and it's not just rumblings of like, oh, well, he's giving Dennis a run for his money. If I hear like, ooh, the word out of camp is Alfred Payton is going to be the starter. I will drive there and murder people. I will be very, very upset. So I, I it's given me like the Moutier vibes already. And he's a much better player than Moutier is. But it's already... Like I, like you know, you know, like when you feel it, like it's gonna happen, and you, you're already expecting to be mad about it, and it just feels inevitable. That's how this feels to me. Yeah, what no, I feel you, for? and I, I, my, I would say the one thing I'm looking out for too is going to be rotation. So I'll, I'll kind of just lump that in the same thing. The point guard rotation is one. Uh, what happens with the wings is another. Uh, the you know the the four and the five I feel are, are pretty. Uh, pretty known but even beyond that like you know there are a lot of guys who could play the four on the roster so seeing who actually ends up playing in that position um i'd be really interested in kyle it was really good to get back behind the mics um you know we're going to be resuming our regularly scheduled programming you know moving forward from here uh thanks again to all of you for listening make sure you check out some of the other podcasts on the blue wire podcast network uh, make sure you head to the nixwall.com and give us a follow on Twitter at the nixwall at TKW podcast at Corbo Anthony and at Kyle Maggio. Uh, you know, hit us up on YouTube. We'll have the videos up there with every podcast too. And yeah, real, real excited to be back. Real excited to be back. Yep. Uh, season four underway. Uh, season very four. Ex- season four. So I'm very excited. Uh, oh, real quick. A couple things, a little housekeeping. I know this is already a long pod. I'm sorry. This is going to be very short. Uh, we hit 20,000 followers on Twitter. Thank you, all of you guys. Uh, very, it, it's, a, it's a milestone. It makes us feel good uh, seeing that number grow larger. So appreciate all of you. Any of our new listeners, old listeners that have been here since day one, appreciate all you guys. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, top of that, we uh, recently switched over vendors over the summer. So we got some new merchandise coming out. We like the quality a lot better. Shirts yeah, are a lot better. These shirts are great. Yeah, so I'm real happy about it. Uh, we've got the the brilliant Ryan Gray uh, designing most of those shirts for you guys. Um, so it's it's we're, we're excited. There's going to be a lot of good stuff coming out this year. Um, you know, last year was kind of hard when the team was so bad, but 
I think there's going to be a lot of good opportunities. So we'll keep it light and fun for you guys again. Uh, last thing, make sure it's decades week on the nickswall.com. So, uh, you know, Monday was the seventies. We covered, we had a nice breakdown of our all time seventies team. Yesterday was the eighties and today was the beloved rough and tough 1990s team. And Mike Cortez covered that. Um, and if you're wondering why we're doing decades week, you might've noticed that we had another app from the ever brilliant, um, Ryan Gray. And this one is the all-time team generator. So this lets you pick uh, great, good, or sometimes horrific players like Bargani to be on your Knicks all-time team. We give you a star rating for your defense, passing, shooting, offense. And uh, we let you know how you did on a scale of 0 to 10 with the team that you've constructed. So go out there and try to make the best team you can from all different generations of Knicks. It's very fun. I've been having a blast with it. My team personally got 6.4 out of 10, and I had Patrick Ewing, Carmelo Anthony, Larry Johnson, and Latrell Sprewell, and I was livid in the TKW uh, slot check. That is a contender, and you cannot convince me otherwise, but that's why these games are so fun is because we all have a different feeling about what makes a team good. So give it your best shot. Send us your submissions. We'd love to see them. Um, That's basically all I got. Yeah, I mean, that's all I got too, so... Uh, Until next week, everybody, you have a good one.